Hi everybody. Welcome to episode one of String and Slaying with Stonebreaker Archery. Today I'm going to be talking about my beginning, how I got started in traditional archery, and a bit on my philosophy and where I tend to go with this in the future. The beginning. So, I'm a hunter, and I really, really, really used to be a gun guy. I collected all sorts of antique guns, and it was just a huge hobby of mine to play with guns, involve myself with guns, and I had a pretty good group of friends that we would go out and we would shoot, and I was going to miss hunting season. I was about to move to Germany, and the last ditch effort to get some kind of hunting in before I went was pick up a bow, buy it cheap, buy it someplace, and get out there and do some last minute hunting with my friends before I go to Germany. So I go into this little tiny hole in the wall archery shop in Balkville, New York called Palmer's Archery. And I find this bow that he has hanging up there. It's a 1970-something Ben Pearson Flame Hunter takedown. Knew nothing about it other than it was a bow and I was going to pick it up and I was going to get some, some last-minute hunting in with my friends before I go to Germany. So I pick up this bow and, of course, me and my friends, we tromp through the woods and we would shoot at squirrels and chipmunks and, you know... At, Basically anything we could find in the woods. It was deer season, but we didn't care. It was my last chance to hunt with these guys. So we were out and we were just going to hunt. Well, we didn't get anything. The day came. I got on the plane with my family and we flew to Germany. I had left the bow there at my parents' house. I didn't think I was going to need it. We get to Germany and here I am. Depression has set in. I don't have my guns, which was my number one hobby. I don't have my friends, who I had enjoyed so much fellowship with. And there I was, just stuck in a rut. And one day, one of the guys that worked for me, we hopped in a car and we drove off to a, another part of Germany in Vilsack. And uh, we walk into this little shop up there that I had seen. It was Wild Jaeger Outfitters. I was like, I don't know what it is. It looks like a hunting store. Let's go check it out. So we go in there, and they got a bunch of traditional bows hanging on the wall. And after a quick conversation with the owner, he said, you know, you should try out one of these. And I said, okay. So we go to the back, and he introduces me to Alois Hoffer. Alois is this old-school Bavarian, just kind of a... A really reserved kind of guy at first and most Bavarians seem a little cold when you first meet them but once you get to know them they're really warm people so I stay on the range we stay there for an hour or so and Alois is showing me how to use a bow at least more correctly than I had ever done before and was coaching me and getting me taking me from basically a 14 and a half inch circle grouping and got me in about six inches. And the owner had come back and he said, You know, you should come back. We have a tournament once a month for uh, wounded warriors, and all the proceeds go towards taking a, a wounded warrior hunting. And I was like, All right. So 
I go home, call my parents, and got them to send my Ben Pearson over there, and I go back, and I see Eloise, and I get some arrows from Eloise, get them trimmed, and I go home, I get set with this bow, and I just start shooting, getting some practice in, it was nothing serious at that point, and just didn't want to go back for this tournament and make a complete fool of myself. So, day comes for the tournament. We go, we shoot the tournament. I, I think I came in a, a perspective fifth or sixth that night. And it was just a good time. Just a, a group of uh, Germans and a group of Americans all getting around. And we were just enjoying shooting bows. So, Alois looks at me and says, I'm a part of a club. You should go shoot with this club. I was like, all right, sure. So, Alois gets me the dates, and the club is the traditional Jagdbogen shoots in Deutschland. The traditional bow hunters shooting club of Germany. So, I show up for this, this first tournament with the, the TJBD. And uh, I'm the only guy there that fluently speaks English. Alois had gone and called ahead for me and set it up with them. So I would be in a group with some guys who at least understood English. So I show up, we shoot. It was a good time. I think I came in 10th in that tournament. And it, I say tournament, it's really not a tournament. Uh, here in America, we would call it a tournament, but it, it's the club get together. They just get, get together and they shoot. And they give out some small prizes. I think my prize in that one was a, a one kilogram bag of uh, gummy bears. It was it was a great prize. So that was it. I was hooked. Of course, I go back. I see Eloise. I get some more pointers. I bought a, an actual target and... Oh, that was it was it that I was hooked I had found what I was looking for it was the fellowship that I was missing in a group of people doing something together that they really enjoy so fast forward just a little bit I I hit the basement I had a 10 yard range set up in my basement which was convenient because the tournaments at Wild Jaeger was 10 meters indoors. So I had it set up perfect. So I hit my basement and I just start shooting arrows. I go down there at night and some nights I would shoot from 9 o'clock till 1 o'clock in the morning. And then I'd be up at 5.30 off to work the next day. So we hit the next tournament and I smiled and looked at Eloise and I said, I will never not place in the top three again. He smiled and said, all right, well, let's see. So I started shooting, and I took first. And the only thing that I could attribute any of that to, realistically at this point, looking back, is luck in a lot of practice. So, Alois and I formed a, fast, a very, very fast friendship. And he had warmed up to me, and I had warmed up to him, and... I just kind of fell in love with Alois. He's just this really cool German dude. And 
he was part of a, a big movement in Germany where he was trying to get bow hunting legalized. And he's in this massive club. He's the president of. And he's just a really, really friendly guy. And I just, I was drawn to him. To this day, he is still my mentor. I still talk to him on Facebook. I still call him on his birthday. I still, if I have a, a question, if something is stumping me with how I'm shooting, I will record myself, put a video up, and ask Alois to critique me because he can, he can put me right. So, pushing forward a little bit, he says, you know, the TJ, TJBD, we, we do a, uh, a get-together once a year. We call it the rendezvous. We go up and we shoot for, for four days. We camp out up here in Bavaria, and you should come to that. Well, all right. Well, at that point, I'd shot a couple times with the, the TJBD, and I was really into it. I was really feeling it. So I go up, and I shoot this rendezvous, and it was an absolute blast. There was over 40 targets out there, and it's not a simple 3D archery course. I mean, these targets are spread out. You're talking 100 to 200 meters between each target. I think that day I had marched probably 5 to 6 miles up and down the side of a mountain. And it was just, it was a really fantastic thing. And they had a little cafe there. You would wake up in the morning, go in, throw a few euros on the counter, have yourself breakfast, coffee. And uh, at that point, I had started flint napping. And I had a, a friend teach me in Afghanistan how to, to flint nap beer bottle bottoms. So I'm in Germany and I'm sitting there and I'm, of course, I... I've talked to Alois about it. I've made him a few beer bottle bottom points. And he comes up to me one night and he says, you know, Jesse, uh, I, I'd really like it if you would make a, a couple of points to give away at the end of this as prizes. And I said, okay, yeah, sure. Well, the TJBD had recently lost one of their members and he was really important. He had helped start the TJBD and... I said, well, you know, what was his preferred drink? And Alois said, scotch. I said, all right, well, is there anyone around that's got an empty scotch bottle? He said, yep, give me 10 minutes, I'll be back. So he walks away and comes back, and he brings me a whole crate of empty scotch bottles. So I just sit down, and I'm talking to Alois, and I'm just napping out this bottom of a scotch bottle and I had made an eagle and handed him the eagle and said here give this away and he was just absolutely stunned and I'm looking at this eagle like man I really do some amateur work I didn't think it was anything great but he was just blown away with having a scotch bottle bottom eagle to give away because it meant so much to the club having just lost this member he looks at me and he says you have to meet Norbert and I was like okay uh, sure 
He said, Norbert makes the finest arrows and he makes some spectacular bows. And by this point, for me in my archery career, I had started making a few board bows. I watched some YouTube videos, didn't really know anything about it. Alois had taught me how to make a, a half-decent arrow for myself. And it's not because that's what he could teach me. It's That was my skill level at that point. I could only make something half-decent. I could also make a string, which Alois had taught me as well. So these board bows, they were nothing special. I was literally buying a board at a local hardware store there. And it was just, they were unbacked. I was only finding just, it was bad. It was really bad. So anyways, he takes me over to this tent and we go to meet Norbert. So I walk into this tent and it is full of drunk Germans. And he sits me down and says, this is Norbert and starts telling Norbert that, you know, I had wanted to make a bow and I wanted to learn how to make bows and I was really just, I was taken to archery well and Norbert says to me, so you want to make a bow, yeah? I said, yeah, I, I want to make a bow. I, I'm only making bows right now out of uh, Buhe. And Buhe is German beach. It's horrible to make bows. It's short-grained, it fractures easy, it crizzles easy. There's just nothing good about making a Buhe bow. And he looks at me and he says, Well, if it was me and I was making a bow, the perfect hunting bow is Reflex Deflex Bamboo Backed Osage. And I said, You know, that, that sounds really great. It also sounds really expensive because neither Osage nor bamboo grows in Germany. And I'm already supporting a family of five on just my paycheck. Norbert slams his hand down on the table. That, that's crap. I tell you what, you bring a case of Mountain Dew to my house, I have everything we need and we'll build a boat. So, what do I do? I talk to Eloise, we get a weekend and... I take a case of Mountain Dew and we go to Norbert's house and Norbert proceeds to teach me how to make a Dean Torges style bamboo backed Osage bow. And I spent the weekend there and of course we're sitting there and we're talking back and forth and I pull out my phone and I, I hit play on some music and we're sitting there and of course I start off pretty easy because both of these guys are oh 30 years my senior and I'm like well I don't know if a bunch of 50 year old guys are going to like my music so you know I throw on some nice classic rock and it starts playing and I'm sitting there under Norbert and Aloise's close guidance and I'm shaping this bow and all of a sudden Metallica comes on and I start reaching for my phone like, oh God, you know, the, these old German guys, how are, how are they going to deal with me playing Metallica? And Norbert, I look up and I swear the biggest smile on his face. And he's like, yes, Metallica. I love Metallica. They are great in concert. And I just smiled and I just 
put my head down and went back to work and let Metallica play. So I got to the end of that weekend, finished making a bow. Of course, we drank lots of wine, ate lots of good German food. I met Norbert's girlfriend, Eva, and Eva was awesome. Excellent cook. By the way, if you guys haven't tried it, I definitely encourage you to try German food. There is so much good stuff out there. It's just unbelievable, and German beer is just beyond reproach. Back to archery now. So, I had made this bow. It's bamboo-packed, Osage orange, and Alois had made me up a, a set of arrows for it with the Dean Torges-style fletching, and it, it was a, a pretty good match, and I had named all of my guns. I am a namer. That's just what I do. I name my guns. They all have personalities. And it's something that carried over to my bows. If I have a bow that I intend to keep forever, it gets a name. So to this point, I have a Ben Pearson Flame Hunter takedown that is aptly named Old Ben. I'm also kind of a Star Wars geek. I admit it freely. Old Ben... Because old Ben showed me the way with traditional archery and got me started. So, carrying on, you know, we're sitting there and I'm finishing up this bow, putting the last coats of oil on it. And I looked up, smiled, looked at Alois, and the first place I'd been stationed with the army was Kansas. Smiled and I looked at him and I said, you know, Alois, I have the perfect name for this bow. He said, what's that? I said, I'm going to call it Kansas. He said, well, Kansas? I said, yeah. Because this bow, it's, of course, it's bamboo-backed, Osage orange, and it's got cowhorn tips on it. And bamboo isn't wood, it's a grass. And in the Midwest, they use fence posts, Osage oranges, fence posts. And, of course, cowhorn tips and a leather grip. And I, I looked at him and I was like, yeah, I'm going to call it Kansas because this thing is nothing but cows, grass, and fence posts, just like Kansas. And it stuck. Even Alois called that bow Kansas. Norbert called it Kansas. I call it Kansas. It still hangs on my rack. It's 58 pounds at 27 inches. It's a perfect bow for me. And I shot that bow. I mean, I shot that. I swear I was going to break that bow. I shot it so much, and it's still just going strong. So I spent the next couple of years there learning as much as I could. I, I just tried to absorb everything that I could from Alois, from Norbert. Norbert taught me how to make some fantastic bows, Taught me how to make some amazing arrows. Set me up with jigs. Set me up with anything I could possibly dream of. As far as making arrows. And making strings. And it was just, it was a fantastic time. So, moving on. You know, I'm coming towards my end time in Germany. And I'm getting ready to come back to America. And... You know, I've been thinking, you know, I just, I don't see anything in America that's just straight traditional archery like this. Of course, I mean, we got Three Rivers Archery, and then there's Lancaster, but Lancaster kind of does both. 
compounds in traditional, and they're they're really kind of more focused on Olympic style. Just didn't didn't find anything that really appealed to me, and you know it it just I laid down one night and just bam, like come on, I had an epiphany. I was going to call it Stone Breaker Archery, and it started out as. I was going to make bows and I was going to be this big custom bow maker and I was going to sell bows. And later on, it kind of evolved a little bit on me where I realized, much like Alois, Alois had never made a bow before in his life. He's made one and I was there with him when he made it. It was the weekend we were at Norbert's. He just made a, a regular Osage flat bow. And... I'd asked Alois one time, I said, why don't you make bows? How have you never made a bow? You've been doing this for years. And he said, you know, what it really comes down to, Jesse, is all of my friends make bows. All of my friends make some really, really nice bows. He said, I'm the only guy in my group of friends that really, really focuses on I just make arrows. And it really kind of resonated with me, so... His opinion in that evolved what I was thinking. And I was like, all right, well, you know, that kind of makes sense. And I get back here to America and, you know, I really start looking around, start joining Facebook groups and looking around, getting in circles. And, you know, I, I realized there's a lot of custom bow makers out here. You know, I just, I hadn't heard of them because I didn't know where to look. So... Pushing further in, I had decided, you know what, I, I'm going to relax on on making bows. Yeah, I'll make a few, but really, I kind of want to focus more on accessories. And while I was in Germany, there was a fantastic shop around the corner from my house called uh, Super Shafty. Super Shafty, they make wooden arrow shafts. And I was... I'd spend a lot of money there every month. I, I don't even want to think about the amount of money that I spent there. So I had been such a good customer. Um, I went in one day when I was getting close to my end time there. And the lovely woman that runs it, Christine, had said, Here, take this book. We ordered a bunch. This one's for you. It's a present. I looked at it. And, of course, it's in German. And it, it, the title is Bogenscheissen. And I'm like, Bogenscheissen, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm getting fairly fluent in German, but I'm not that great. And come to find out, translated, it means bow accessories. The entire book is about bow accessories and how to make the things that you need to go with your bow. Focusing on arrows, quivers, knives, arrow pullers, arrow finders all sorts of stuff. Highly encourage you guys, hop on Amazon. It's available on Amazon. The book is called Bow Accessories. Hop on Amazon, check it out, please. It's a fantastic book. So now I'm back in America and I've decided I'm going to push forward with my own style of accessories. Uh, First and foremost, I started focusing on arrows because it's what I knew how to build. 
and I'd gotten interested in the Turkish style of cresting. It's a super fancy scroll cresting. If you guys hop on my Facebook, on Stonebreaker Archery on Facebook, you'll see pictures of some of this Turkish cresting. And I admit I'm not the best at it, but I seem to be one of the only guys around that's really willing to do it. And I've melded my own style into it, so it's not true traditional but it's still Turkish cresting style. So I'm doing those arrows for a little bit and I, I built myself a, a half decent reputation. And I'm going through and of course I start finding stuff here and there that I like and things that I'm looking at. And one day I had just looked up and was like, you know, I'm going to go bow fishing. Well, the one thing I didn't have for any one of my bows is a bow fishing reel. So I go to my garage and I'm, I'm used to working with my hands. I, I was a mechanic for the army and my father taught me to be a blacksmith and a farrier. So I hit the shop and I start playing around with some wood and some wood laminations that I had made. And I came up with this wooden ring that would attach with rubber straps to the bow. No tape, no special brackets. My bow doesn't have to be drilled and tapped. I don't have to drill into my bow, screw anything to it. And I was like, man, this is awesome. So I turn around and I hop on Facebook, throw a picture up. Hey guys, look at what I just built. Not even thinking about selling this thing. And I'll be darned if within an hour of me putting that up, I didn't already get a message. Hey, I love that idea. I think it's fantastic. Can I buy one from you? What do you want for it? Oh, God, I, I, I have no idea. I, did, I just built this for myself because I want to go bow fishing. So, which spurred me into, you know, the idea of, well, maybe I should make these bow fishing spools. So I start making these bow fishing spools and, you know, I've sold a few of them and, I start talking to, to guys and I start looking out in the future ahead of me and, you know, I, it, it just it keeps driving this idea into my head. What is the future of traditional archery? So I start looking for people and I'm finding these, these ideas out there that are in people's head and I start pulling and picking ideas and um, I had come across a... A Facebook post in one of my groups for Sock Trail Archery. Well, Sock Trail, Mike Roberts and Mike Dreifout have started making these cast resin risers and they are just unbelievable. Great to look at. So I start talking to, to Mike Dreifout and throwing him some ideas for what I would like in a cast resin riser and get my order going and because I want that. That I look at that and it, it's the future of archery. And you know, I, I'm talking to some other people and I find another bowyer who's in Michigan, uh Beaumont Vance. He's working on a, a split limb design bow. And I'm like, wow, look at that. That's that is so fantastic. Like so I start messaging him and I'm a huge fan of Beaumonts now, and I'm a huge fan of Mike Dreifout and Mike Roberts because 
these guys are pushing the fold, the future of what traditional archery is. So, this is all building up into one final part for me, which is pushing into my philosophy. My philosophy is, what is the future of traditional archery? According to some, the future is the past. Bear, Fred Bear, Howard Hill, you know, the, the greats. And that's fantastic. But, you know, someday there's not going to be any more Howard Hill bows out there. There's going to be Howard Hill style. And there's going to be bear styles. But there's not going to be any more of those originals. And it pushed me into thinking, well, in order for traditional archery to survive... We have to evolve at some point. We have to look to the future and how do we get new people interested. So I start pulling these guys together and I have made friends with Stephen Cowan. Awesome dude in Australia. He made this group, Recurves Longbows and Leatherworks. If you're on Facebook, please stop in, check it out. So Stephen makes me an admin there, and of course I start adding these people who I, I'm seeing as like, they are, that's it, that's the future of archery. These guys are, are the next big things going. And I started to realize that maybe, just maybe, some of my own ideas are going to be the future of archery. My bow fishing spool, um... My, my Turkish designs on these crested arrows and really my philosophy has just been what can we do to push the future of traditional archery not just throwing out some new gimmick it's not about a gimmick it's not about a catch it's how do we catch new young people how do we get the next part in traditional archery? What is the next chapter? What what can we do? So, for me, in my small business, Stonebreaker Archery, that's what it means. Traditional archery is the stone. How do we break this? How do we mold this into something new. Of course, a stone can be a useful tool. What are we going to do as traditional archers right now in this moment to push forward, make something new with traditional archery? You know, is it is it foam cores and bows? Is it a new type of string material? Maybe we're moving off of D97 and B55. Maybe what's the next great product out there for us? And not just a gimmick product. I'm talking about real products. Things that we are going to find useful as traditional archers. Things that are going to hook the next generation. And let them experience traditional archery and love it like we do. So, that's my philosophy. What are we going to do carrying forward?
Now, for me, carrying forward, what I intend to do is that very thing. I am going to push forward. I'm constantly on the lookout for a a new idea, a new useful piece in archery. And, you know, maybe it's not useful for everybody. Maybe some of us like living in the past. I know I, I have some of my classic bows that I just absolutely love and I'll never let them go. But I'm also adding new pieces to that. And for my own business, I'm going to continue to produce my style of arrows. I'm going to continue to produce my bow fishing spools. I have looked into and am currently developing an aluminum safety slide for bow fishing arrows. So hopefully it'll never ever break on you again. I'm also looking into and currently in the designs of a frog gigging head for arrows. Because why not? Right? So, to wrap this up, all I'm going to do is emphasize to you guys, look at where we are right now. Look at where we're going. Look at the numbers of archers that we have out there, and I want you to stop and ask yourself, what can we do to hook the next generation? And I want to hear about it. So please, if you're listening to this podcast, leave a comment either on the podcast, uh, go to my Facebook page, go in Recurves, Longbows, and Leatherworks, let them know, hey, this is what I think the future is. I think this is the next great idea. As well as, let's get some of the older guys up here with us. Um... You know, let's keep it traditional, but let's see how we can push this and make this better. So, uh, now that I'm at the end of, I guess, my rant, you could say, uh, I would like to put a special thank you out there to Matt Fout of White Feather Archery. If you guys are into that old school kind of business where you'd rather make a phone call and talk to someone, Instead of hopping on a web page and ordering something that you have no idea, by all means, get a hold of White Feather Archery because Matt Fout, I'm telling you, he is the old school get on the phone and talk to you type of guy. So please go check him out. Also, hop on Sock Trail Archery and Sock Trail Resin Risers. Check them out. These guys are pushing the future of archery. They make a fantastic bow. Uh, I will not be picking up my personal bow until Kalamazoo in January. So I want to thank you all for listening and giving me some of your time. And please, 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 please give me a like on Facebook. Give me a like on here. Uh, I will keep you guys informed of when my next episode will become available. So thanks for listening. As always, keep your bowstrings waxed.
Right now, right now.